Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Very happy to be joined by two folks from the Urban Assembly. We have Julissa Baez, the Director of Alumni Success, and we have Lindsay Dixon, who's the Senior Director of Post-Secondary Readiness. Welcome to both of you to Trending in Education. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have both of you on and excited to, to see where the conversation goes. As I mentioned when we were setting up here, folks who listen to the show may not have the same depth of knowledge around what post-secondary education is, what placement in colleges, things that maybe we knew 10, 15 years ago have changed in recent years. So we will want to get some clarification from each of you on what we're talking about today, but maybe just beginning with you, Jalissa, what do you want to make sure we talk about today? Thank you for having us again, Mike. I definitely want to make sure that we talk about how this crisis that we live in 2020 is changing the way that students are making choices about their post-secondary lives and how the supports that they have traditionally received to make that decision, which were traditionally focused on four-year college, go and have that experience, need to adapt to the new needs of these students and the, and the challenges that they're facing in front of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an opportunity as much as it is a challenge. So how do we take that time to innovate and provide more choices to students to um, navigate the careers that they want to go into after high school. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And uh, how about you, Lindsay? I think similar to Julissa, I I definitely want to zoom in on those topics. And then a little bit of the inverse, I want to talk about some of the the problems that we've had before COVID. And that this is actually just accelerating many of the problems that we have with the disconnect between higher education and the workforce landscape, and then K-12 education, and especially high school and the curriculum that we're teaching that was really made for a world that was about 50 years ago, and certainly is not preparing young people for the future now, especially with COVID ramping everything up. So I want to talk about COVID, but then there were some pretty serious issues already that we should be talking about more. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to learning from each of you and applying some practical, experiential insights from you on how to apply some of the stuff that I've talked about more in the theoretical. I haven't really had a lot of conversations with folks in K-12 who are thinking about future work and disruption, workforce development, the way both of you are. So I'm really excited to, to dive in there. So typically when we start the show, I like to get the origin stories of, of each of our guests. So maybe beginning with you, Lindsay, if you could uh, just tell us who you are and how you got to this point in your career. And for folks who we're trying to understand where the world of learning is going. How do you relate to that world? Awesome. So I am Lindsay. I am a student and student of life and a lifelong learner and an educator. I am a wife and a soon-to-be adoptive parent going through Congrats. that process right now with my wife. I'm a Southerner. So y'all hear some y'all slip out um, that I don't even really notice anymore. And I would say um, how I got here, my origin story is that I was raised by a single mom down south and no one in my family, my siblings, cousins, my mom had ever graduated high school. They all got their GEDs. And I I knew that I wanted to finish high school, but I didn't know what after that. And I didn't have any guidance. There wasn't really much industry in my town. There wasn't many options. So I did graduate high school. And then right after 9-11, I joined the United States Air Force. I wanted primarily education benefits. Let's Mm -hmm. be honest. That was the reason I signed up. I did not have a burning desire to go fight in a war or be overseas. Mm -hmm. I wanted a a sure route to my education. So I, I did four years of active duty 
and was able to get my associates and my bachelor's degree while I was still in. So I got mm. to save all that GI Bill money for both of my master's degrees. Wow. So I served, I moved to New York and then at, at age 23 and became a high school teacher in the Bronx. And so I taught for several years in the Bronx and a little bit in Harlem. And then I did one summer as a teacher in Guatemala. And I got mm. to see different um, educational settings and I loved being a teacher, but I just felt waiting till a kid was in 11th or 12th grade is too late. And we needed to do some work it, at the systems level. So Mm -hmm. I went and worked for a nonprofit called Year Up, which is actually where I met Jalissa. And we really got to start tackling things like pipelines into careers, because a lot of my students were saying, yeah, miss, I think I want to go to college, but maybe not right now. Or I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I don't know what major I want. So I don't want to pay all this money in tuition. I, I very much understood that. So after teaching and then working in this nonprofit with 18 to 24 year olds was the age range we worked with really successful nonprofit. But again, mm-hmm. I had the sense that we're catching them too late. This is too late. All of these young people are coming to us with enormous debt, usually from a college that they did not complete. Mm-hmm. And without the social capital, and the social networks that will open doors for them. So even though they get amazing results, I told the CEO of that company when I left that I really want to put you out of business by fixing high school in America. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's how I come to this work. I really have come back to high school now. And instead of teaching, I'm coaching and redesigning the system of high school. Mm. I'm really passionate that the future Lindsay's don't feel like the military is their only option mm. or that they're forced into a particular degree program or level of education that's not really for them. Mm. I, I think we can personalize this and really change the game for a lot of people if we are really thoughtful about the system and start earlier. We start way too late. So that's why I do this. And that's a little bit of my origin story. Nice. Well, that's, are you ready to follow that, Julissa? That was, that was pretty great. I've been following Lindsay for 10 years now. So something that she forgot to mention about her story is what a wonderful career coach she is and mm-hmm. what a master in talent development she is. She's an amazing leader and recruits amazing people like me. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we've had the pleasure to like work together in a couple of different settings and it's been such a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and my story is a little bit different. I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. And my high school experience was very different from what I learned the experience in the United States is. I was tracked into an engineering program from the ninth grade, Mm -hmm. and there was no other direction that I was supposed to go into. Like I was supposed to just become an engineer. But I decided to immigrate into the United States and and come here for an adventure. And with very limited English at the time, I had the privilege to test into advanced courses in college already. Mm -hmm. And it was my surprise to see that even with my language barrier, I was doing better in those courses than a lot of the students that were coming from New York City public schools. And I just couldn't understand that. I developed an interest for public policy. So after college, I went to work for the New York State Assembly and working in government and in politics. And what I realized working in the community that I was serving is that every single public issue came back to poverty. Mm. and how the cycle of poverty is designed so that people will stay in these situations and in facing these social challenges that mm. could very easily be resolved with additional education, access to resources, access to healthcare, access to housing, and all of the other things that, that we know in the space that are needed yeah. in order for people to navigate and to achieve a certain status of economic stability and well-being. Because of that, then I transitioned to focus primarily on workforce development. I wanted to understand what are some of the interventions that we need to do 
do in order to make sure that everyone, all populations, particularly those that are vulnerable, have access to what they need to be able to sustain their, themselves and their families and to give back to their communities and build their communities on their own. Mm-hmm. So that's how I landed at Europe where I met Lindsay and we focus on young adults ages 16 to 24. The idea was very simple. It was to get students skills very early on and get them into the workforce very quickly so that they can have that on-the-job training that would eventually allow them to navigate into a career ladder job. Mm-hmm. But I agree with Lindsay, that's too late. 16, 17, 18, that's too late. A lot of our students, particularly in our Black and brown communities, are already getting into trouble, right? At that right. age, already getting into these cycles that it's going to be really hard to get them out of. Mm-hmm. We need to start much earlier providing those examples and those avenues for students to get their hands in, in different types of careers and in different types of things mm-hmm. um, that will get them into that pathway much earlier. So that's how I ended up navigating back to K-12 and working with Lindsay at the Urban Assembly with our younger kids to build those pipelines for, for our students. And just to reacquaint folks with the Urban Assembly, we've had a couple of different guests on, but Julissa, can you just describe what the Urban Assembly is and what its mission is? Yeah, the Urban Assembly is a nonprofit organization based in New York City. We work in partnership with uh, New York City Public Schools and also schools in other cities across the United States to provide supports for school staff to build pipelines for social and economic mobility for students. Mm-hmm. We focus primarily on supporting school staff on developing programs for social and emotional learning, academics, and post-secondary readiness, which is the work that the Lindsay um, leads. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then the post-secondary readiness, uh, Lindsay, can you expand on what that means and how you measure that, how you understand that? Yeah, absolutely. For us, we think about making sure that a young person is intentionally and very like explicitly exposed to all of the range of the options that are out there at a young age. So we do have some middle schools and we have some middle high schools that we work with. And so we start that in sixth grade where we can, but where mm-hmm. we can't, if it's just a high school, we start in ninth grade and we work with college counselors, guidance counselors, teachers to think about what types of curriculum can we introduce? What types of internships and work-based learning experiences can we introduce? So we help schools set up systems to make sure that all kids are getting internships to create or use curriculum to make sure that young people really understand like the future of work and Mm -hmm. sometimes we hold that up as this like adult concept or something just from the world economic forum to worry about nope that is actually their future many (laughs) of us talking about this aren't going to live in what they are going to live in and so Mm -hmm. they really need to understand like what is a cloud administrator or what what is python as a language and an older person might think that python is just a snake (laughs) but a young person is going to know and be very facile with this idea that this is a very popular programming language. There's a lot of careers um, that connect to that. So really helping them understand who they are, their identity, their purpose, Mm -hmm. um, and their sense of interest, how that connects first to a career, because usually we talk to kids about college first, and that is the absolute backwards way to do it. Mm. Help them latch onto the idea of a sector of interest in a career, and then identify a major or a a training program. And only then at the end do you identify, okay, now who offers all of those things? Don't just Mm -hmm. get stuck on the allure of, I want to go to Stanford because that sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. They may not have the program you want. And so that is a bit of what my, my team and I focus on is, especially in the high school years, working with those school staff to reorient their entire system around early college and career awareness. And then the systems that you need to make sure that we actually have good fit placements for every student. Our goal is that 100% of our students will have um, a positive and strong placement an offer letter and acceptance letter, not just letting them drop into the gap, which is what most high schools in America do. You know, that busy 12th grade teacher or counselor 
as soon as May or June comes, they have to pivot their attention right back to take a little break for the summer. And now I have new students. And that's a big part of what Jalissa's team does is make sure those kids don't fall into the gap. Um, yeah. But if our systems are better designed, they wouldn't. Yeah. And one of the secret sauces of the urban assembly is that we rely a lot on community to build this work. So we are a network of high schools. So we learn from a lot of different high schools and how they do these interventions. But we also mobilize our graduates from our students, from our schools to come back and support our high school students. So a lot of the transitional work, for example, that my team does during the summer right after graduation is all led by young people, mm-hmm. young people that went to those high schools, young people that are now in those post-secondary pathways, young people that know what it is that a younger person will respond to in terms of how to get motivated and how to get the right tools and and mechanisms to navigate. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that social capital is also very much important, particularly for the population that we serve, Mm -hmm. as they are trying to figure out their place in the workplace and how they can get to the places that they want to go to. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I know you mentioned the critical role that poverty plays in a lot of the challenges that that students face and families face. Can you expand a little bit on that, Julissa, just to give a little more context? Yeah, I'll give you a perfect example. When we realized that we were in the middle of our pandemic in early March, one of the challenges our students were going to face really quickly was that pivot to remote learning. Mm -hmm. However, we sent a survey uh, very early on to all of our alums, and we have uh, around 12,000 alums in the UA network, and we communicate with the recent graduates, and what they asked for the most was food, money for food, money for transportation, even though they were not necessarily traveling that much. The very basics, and these are students that you would think have made it, that got into an Ivy League school or got Mm -hmm. into a four-year program or graduated high school, that's already an accomplishment. And you would think that, okay, they're set. We did what we needed to do. They can now navigate and go into the world. And here they are struggling with food insecurity. They're struggling with a lack of access to healthcare. So even though we're an education organization, because we're dealing with human beings, Mm -hmm. the human needs of these students don't go away because they're still very much attached to some of these mm-hmm. challenges that they face when they were in their communities. Sometimes they're the first ones in their families to go into the world, into higher education or other pathways. Yeah. So that means that they still have little siblings at home or their parents are at home that may be undocumented, that may be sick, that may be unemployed, that may be dealing with all of these consequences mm-hmm. of poverty beyond the other things that came with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So we needed to pivot really quickly and we developed a, a, a fundraising campaign called Close the Gap to make sure that we had the ability to just support them with whatever they needed. We put out an application and we just said, this is a difficult time. Tell us what you need and we'll do whatever we can to mobilize that and get that to you. Mm -hmm. So even though we're supposed to be supporting just in the education realm, we see our students as holistic human beings that we need to make sure that we provide with the resources that they need to navigate into the world. Yeah. And to clarify too, you were fundraising for your alumni network, not just your currently enrolled students, which... Yes. So we were able to provide both tech and laptops and access to Wi-Fi and all of that for our current students, our our students Mm -hmm. in our high schools, but also for our alums. We were also able to provide things like money for food and if you need a desk because now you're working, studying from home or if yeah. you need sort of money for something else, transportation. One of our students, for example, needed money to just get out of campus. She was upstating Syracuse, needed to get to the city, yeah. didn't have the money to take the bus. And like, we were able to just provide that for them and that made all the difference. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the things that if you were privileged enough to grow up in a different situation, maybe yeah. you wouldn't have been facing. But in the populations that we serve, we need to keep in mind that we are dealing with humans that are still dealing with other things and mm-hmm. that access to quality education is extremely important but definitely not the only need they have yeah 
Makes a lot of sense. And then, and then Lindsay, another buzzword I heard from you that I'd love to dive a little deeper into is the future of work and some of your perspective on jobs that we were designing education for in the past, maybe going away and the new jobs that are emerging, many students and families have never even heard of, let alone educators. Any perspective from you? I know it's something I always enjoy when I see someone's uh, face light up when they think about the future of work, because it's really fascinating stuff. Any perspective from you on that? Yeah, absolutely. And my face always does light up because as Jalissa said earlier, I, I do see the opportunity here. Whether or not we'll eventually need like a UBI or a, a universal basic income to offset mm-hmm. some of the job loss that absolutely will come. I'm interested in some of those conversations as well. But I think there is, you can look all the way back to the early Greeks, the Egyptians, there is a deep seated need in all of us to have a sense of purpose yep. and a sense of utility. And a lot of us get that from work. So even if it is not work for a certain amount of hours a week or a certain pay, I do think that sometimes work gets a bad rap. And I'm very passionate about the idea of helping people get passionate about their work. Like mm-hmm. 75% of people are disengaged at work. Mm-hmm. That's really bad for all of us. If you have a yeah. disengaged crossing guard, I'm worried for our children. <laughs> right. If you have a, a disengaged anesthetist, I'm really worried about you going. So there's this problem that already exists that we have now, and there's the opportunity to use technology. So we have advances in automation that are automating jobs that sometimes are downright dangerous. There's a lot of po- uh, politics around people doing like coal mining and other things. There's all kinds of implications for our environment that we could set to the side for now. Mm -hmm. Sending people down into dark spaces to crawl around and breathe in really noxious, terrible fumes. When we have a machine that can do that, please let's have the machine do that. Yeah. When there is algorithms now in artificial intelligence that is better at diagnosing lung cancer than humans are mm-hmm. because our eye was not built with the same type of sensors that a, a computer can be built. I want the computer helping to diagnose yeah. that for me and for mm-hmm. my family. And so I think the promise for our young people comes in when they can help, first of all, create this future. So they are going to get to shape the future of work by saying like, here's a priority for us. We care about the environment. Mm-hmm. We care about healthcare. Let's think about how to responsibly use technology and what role will I play in that? Will I be an AI ethicist, for instance? That was not a job for me when I was growing up, but we need young people to understand and get really geeked out and excited about the idea of, I want to be an AI ethicist. I want to actually help program those self-driving cars to know what to do in the common scenario when they say, if you go left, you're going to hit one person with a child. And if you're going to go, you're going to hit six adults and what decisions should be made there. And we need human beings to really tap into empathy and creativity. Those are the skills of the future because Mm -hmm. certainly being facile with data and understanding data is important, but you're not going to be crunching those numbers. We don't need you to, we don't want you to, it would take way too long. So even being a paralegal, it can still be a great job, but a lot of that has already been offshored to -hmm. countries like India where they can work on it overnight for them. And then algorithms are taking care of this work. So I think helping young people look at, there's some good databases that will help you have a sense of, will this job in the near term be automated? I want them to have that information. They deserve to have that before they make a decision. Mm -hmm. And then to, yeah, I want them to know cloud administrator. I want them to know AI ethicist. It's not just about for for my family or my in-laws being a truck driver or a brick mason. There's a lot of honor in those careers. And those two are being automated. You will not be a longshore truck driver, let's say in 10 or 15 years. It will be automated for most people doing that work. And so we need our young people to understand that before they make a life altering decision about what they're going to do after high school and how much they're going to pay for it. 
Yeah, I think for the generations that came behind us, maybe even a lot of it was about like digital literacy and making sure people know how to code and whatever. That was cool and great. And people should know those things. But our students right now are digital natives. The problem is that they're technology consumers and not producers for the most part. Mm. And what I definitely agree with Lindsay saying is that we need to give the uh, students the power to create those technologies for the world that they have to live in, that their children have to live in, that for the challenges that are coming in the future because for us we have less less time here on this earth one but also that's upskilling and reskilling that we needed to do was for a very particular challenge before this time um it is our in the hands of our students to build a world that we're going to live in the next 50 100 years or so i think that's the importance of cte and like career and technical education in high school it's such an important model it's not your granddaddy cte it's not vocational education and tracking kids and black and brown kids over here and white kids that's not what it's about and for instance our school in Manhattan, our Urban Assembly School for Green Careers, those kids are already getting certified to become energy auditors and understanding the LEED certification system. And we need our buildings to be energy efficient. We need them not to be just off putting all of this like reckless carbon into the environment. And our young people who are teenagers are actually going in and doing energy audits in New York City. And they can get really well paid to do that. They can do all kinds of different things that our schools are proving um, that you can have young people study and get really um, excellent at cybersecurity. Our our CompSci High School in the Bronx, where Jalissa sits on the board of that school, they're doing uh, cybersecurity, user experience, and user interface design as 11th graders, and they're really good at it. And so then they can decide what is the need in society that I can help fill with these skills and this passion, and -hmm. not the other way around, and just what is a job that's going to pay well. Over and over, young people say pay is not the thing that matters the most to them. They want to feel that sense of purpose and a sense of value. And I think giving young people that message is really important because the message folks got in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and even the 80s was go to work, go to be a teller or a banker, make a certain amount of money, and have your 2.5 kids to be a success. And, and, And young people are, that's not the life that they're about and they tell us they're very honest mm-hmm. yeah a lot to a lot to dig into around all of that but but yeah the the thing that that i come away with as well is that there's real relevance and purpose to the system that's delivering education at the urban assembly and it's very connected to the community can either of you talk to that a little bit just the importance of building the connections within your community, within the job labor market outside of your high school? Uh, Maybe begin with you, Jalissa, and then pick up with you, Lindsay. Absolutely. So uh, Lindsay mentioned that I sit on the board of CompSci High. It's one of our schools um, in the Bronx. It's the first computer science charter school in the Bronx. And one of the things that we do with the students there is that every single student from the ninth grade has an opportunity to do some sort of work-based learning experience. One of the things that we did, for example, last year with our 10th graders was that they partnered with the local community center to build uh, a website for the community center that was particularly targeted at older adults. Mm-hmm. So not just like a website that was cool to kids or an app that was cool to like the students of their age, but they had to actually understand the community that they lived in, the services that community center was offering, and they got to put their computer science skills to to practice by building something for a population that they are different from. Mm -hmm. So they also had to like, not just do the technical coding part of it, but also what does a 60 year old wants to see on a website? How do they even get to a website? Like that's as a 16 year old, Mm -hmm. you're actually trying to do that as a little bit of research and it develops a lot of your analytical skills as well. And providing value for the community. Like we don't need to wait until we form and educate a human being for 
15 years for that human being to then to start contributing back to that community. You right. have very talented, very passionate young people in your own communities that could start building things and contributing to that same neighborhood and that same community. And you don't have to wait that long mm. to have that sense of purpose and that sense of contribution. Yeah. So we definitely take pride in making sure that the experiences that our students are having are connected to their local community and how they how they interact with the, with the world. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we do that is very important is what I was mentioning earlier about bringing back graduates of that same high school to sit in career panels, to do financial aid nights, to help students with their college applications, to help them transition through the summer into the post-secondary life, building that social network and social capital, particularly with students that look like you, like sound like you, that come from your neighborhood, that come mm-hmm. from your school, yep. provides an, Im- an immense amount of value for students and also allows them to see, to develop more confidence in what they could themselves become because this, these are young people that are too three years older than them and they're already doing great things and they can see that live by building those connections. Yeah. I love both those examples. Remind me of the importance of being able to take other people's perspectives, learning empathy and learning how that relates to next gen skills like user research and user interface design. It's nice to be able to both connect to the real human component, but then map that also to the the digital capabilities that you were touching on uh, a bit more, uh, Lindsay, as well. And you just took it in a great direction. I was going to say perspective taking is like one of the key skills we teach with our social emotional learning work. Mm. And it's so important for just about every career. If you're going to be a marketer and put yourself in the shoes of a potential client, or you're going to build an application, if you think user experience is everywhere, the way you walk through a hospital is a user experience. Mm -hmm. And a young person has sometimes better empathy than some of us old folks. And they could say, actually, you know what? I think there should be pamphlets here in multiple languages right at the beginning with a map to help mm-hmm. families. Like we have a, a wonderful uh, healthcare focused high school in, in East Brooklyn. And, and these are the types of projects that they work on. Yeah. And we have, to your question a little bit about community and families, I have just two examples that pop to my mind of somehow, sometimes we're too siloed with what we think a school could be and should be, but families are an integral part of school. My colleague Ayende just said to me like a little bit worthy out outsiders. Education is like the third rung. The family and the school is that one and two piece of this like three-legged stool, if you will, and we really have to involve them um, Mm. and not as an afterthought. And so two quick examples. One, our school in East Harlem, our global commerce school, which has a CTE pathways in supply chain logistics and several other things that they're focused on. When they do a career fair for their young people to get jobs, they invite families. There are many families that are also looking for work right now. There is no reason that you couldn't also be having families bring in resumes. And Mm -hmm. that is a really powerful example. Mm. Um, And then the second one, we have an amazing middle school, our Unison Middle School in Brooklyn, and they do career labs, hands-on career labs, maker labs, hydroponics garden with their students to learn how to do aquaponics where like fish are creating the nutrients that feed the vegetables that feed us. And so their young people not only literally grow the food, that will feed the neighborhood. They are given cooking classes. And when you go in to visit that school, you'll see parents who come in during the day to sit down and take cooking classes with their children to learn about like healthy nutrition and Mm. healthy, even just safe cutting practices. And they'll teach them knife skills. Mm. And that's what a school can be. It doesn't just have to be bells that ring and a 44 minute and a test over here. School is community. And I think I'm so glad you asked that question because it's such an important part of a little bit of our humanity. I think we've lost, certainly in the United States, we've got this very rugged individual thing Mm -hmm. going. And I think more than ever now, we need to think of our schools as communities and value the most important people in those communities, which is the students and their families. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really proud of the work we've done there. Yeah. 
Yeah, it reminds me of the business adage that uh, culture eats strategy for lunch. So it's the same yep. idea. If you have a community-based culture, community-based education is something that really, it happens whether it's called that or not. But if you can be intentional about building those connections, I think it really can can begin to move the needle. We are getting a little closer to time. So I think this is where we begin to pivot towards what do you see coming down the line? It's been such a crazy year. It may, I very much agree with your point, Lindsay, that it's been a year that it has accelerated a lot of trends. So even if you felt like you had your five-year predictions down, suddenly you need to come up with new five-year predictions because all your five predi- <laughs> five-year predictions are coming right. true right now. So any perspective, short, medium, or long, I'd love to just hear other folks' takes on what might be emerging. Any thoughts from you, Jalissa? Yeah, watch out for community mm-hmm. colleges are going to make a comeback. Yes. And it's long overdue. Now that the college experience, the traditional college experience is non-existent, students are going back to think about what is it that they're supposed to get from this education and mm-hmm. from this experience itself. Skill sets, the ability to connect to networks and the ability to get uh, a job experience. And because of the economic crisis that has come from this pandemic, you need to do that a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. I do see, we already saw it with the class of 2020, with the high school class in 2020, a lot of students who changed their plans at the last minute to stay yes. close to home for mm-hmm. safety, for um, saving money, for getting their feet wet into higher education before they made that commitment. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a trend and it's going to provide an opportunity for local governments and state governments to pour more funding into these institutions that can very quickly um, move the needle in terms of uh, the supply of workers and labor and new skills that we'll need for the world after COVID. So Mm -hmm. definitely watch out for community colleges. And we'll be talking about this, I'm pretty sure, for a couple of years in terms of how they've made a comeback to be the the savior of the workforce um, system in the United States post-COVID. Very specific targeted one. And it sounds like there's a return engagement in your future uh, with that one. So well done by you. (laughs) And and how about you, Lindsay? Thoughts? What do you see on the horizon? I would say I love that one. I'm in a doctoral program now and have multiple degrees, but my associate's degree, I'm a a proud community college graduate. And I I think that was probably one of the best choices I ever made. And one of the more practical things that led to direct work experience and life experience. So I am fully in agreement with Jalissa. Not only that, will happen, but it should happen. We should Mm -hmm. be pushing hard for this to happen. I think some of the trends that I see, maybe one trend that I see and I know is coming and one that I want to speak into existence. One trend that I know is coming is the concept of modularity or modular education and stackable Mm -hmm. credentials. Mm -hmm. This idea that we can mix and match concepts, not necessarily in a linear way. You will not have to go for a four-year program and wait until the end of four years to get a degree. You will be able to get certifications, badges. You will be able to transfer from one program to another. So linearity is like so passe now. We have, because of how quickly our market shifts and how quickly our market moves, it never made sense that we would have these curriculums literally locked in for decades that do not substantively change when the world has moved past us. So Mm -hmm. I think if there's parents listening, students, teachers, if they could really start to unpack their student or, or their child, this idea that You need to be a lifelong learner. So that is not just a buzzword. We will need to go to school, go to college, go to a training program over and over to upskill and reskill throughout the rest of our lives. That's Mm -hmm. just a new way of life. It is going to be very rare for someone to be able to just go do a one and done degree. Very rare. So that is the one trend that I would put all my money behind that it's already happening, but it's going to pick up steam. Mm -hmm. Um, The one that I want to speak into existence is the trend around a 
supply side orientation, certainly in our labor market, but in higher education. I want our young people to know that you are the revenue that these universities are looking for, and you have the right to go in and ask hard questions to demand lifelong learning credits, actually. So some universities are getting on board with this idea that if you finish a degree at our institution, you can come back forever for free mm. and level up and upscale. And I want all of our young people to ask, what can you do for me by way of lifelong learning credits? Mm. What will you give me? It's the same way with apps. You know how they say if you're on Facebook, or any of these apps and they're not charging you, then you're the product right? and your data is the product. Our young people are the product. Young people have been in this backseat position fighting for sometimes the scraps of leftovers or whatever grant money they can get. Absolutely not. I'm going to speak into the existence that the trend is coming because enrollments have been going down before this and now yeah. enrollments are going down again. They're going to be fighting hard for our kids and we're going to teach them to play such hardball, Mike. <laughs> we're going to have them asking these really hard questions about what is the experience for Black students on your campus? What types of affirming uh, organizations will we have? What What is your student to staff makeup and by race? Like how many of your professors are going to look like me and have my mm -hmm. background? Mm -hmm. What can you do for me fi financial aid? And what is your job placement rate? And if they don't publish it on their website, which many of them don't <laughs> go there, do not go, go there. 91% of Americans say their number one reason for going to college is to get a job. And mm -hmm. we've let colleges bury that part of it for way too long. And that is part of their responsibility. So that is the trend I'm speaking to existence. Young people are going to ask these hard questions yeah. and really pit colleges against each other. And bravo, they should. There's amazing colleges out there and I'm excited for our young people to go to them. But the day is over where a college can charge an enormous amount of money and make a young person take on a life-changing and burdening amount of debt and then not deliver them a degree because of the atrociously low graduation rates of colleges in the United States, and then not deliver them a job. I think that's over. We're not going right. to put young people through that anymore. Yeah, I definitely wanted to speak that into existence as well. I think it's one of the consequences and one of the, one of the results of the, the cultural revolution that we had in 2020 as well. It is time for all institutions to become people ready. We mm. always talk about getting students college ready, getting workers job ready, but it's time for institutions to become people ready mm. to make sure that they know both employers and higher education and training programs that they know that they're dealing with human beings and human beings need to have the tools that they need to navigate and that you are going to get as an employer, as a company, you're going to get the most return investment when you invest really in those human resources. That's why HR as a profession is coming back as well, because Absolutely. you have all these machines that can do all these things that can be automated, but you need to really focus on the things that only humans can do. And that doesn't happen with a light switch. You have to coach people. You have to invest in them. You have to give them space to be human beings, to be parents, to be spouses, to be members of their community, to be Because if you don't, eight. our kids will bounce. <laughs> these exactly. Gen Z kids and, the, and Generation Alpha is coming after them they are going to have such short attention spans oh for jobs especially and that can be a really good thing you really only do want people who are motivated and believe in your product or service to stay but these young people are going to vote with their feet if you're not attending to them as human beings as Jalissa said as people and developing them if you're going to treat them like a cog in the machine you probably should just buy a robot because mm. they're not here for it and I'm here for all of what they are and what they represent wow yeah what, what am I supposed to say? Like I said, I, I expected the two of you to carry the show. So there you go. I'll just, I'll just wrap it up gracefully as best I can. So really fantastic stuff from Julissa Baez and Lindsay Dixon from the Urban Assembly talking about how to connect the dots in people's lives and really connect to the whole community, understand poverty, understand the future of work. 
Really fantastic uh, stuff going on here. And if folks want to learn more about any of this, where should they go? What should they look for? Follow us on Twitter. We're very active on Twitter and we, we yeah. share a lot of good stuff and come to one of our webinars. We're putting all of our, all of our best practices and information out there. Everything for- that Jalissa and I just talked about, one of or both of our teams is doing very regular speaker series, professional developments. We're working with individuals, entire networks of schools to really start to shift mindsets. A lot of this is mindset shifts. Parents and students and teachers, a lot of us are still stuck on that older paradigm that we grew up in and that's okay, but the time has come for change. And so that's a big part of what we're trying to do. And so we'd love to have any of your listeners join us for any of those. Awesome. Fantastic stuff from Lindsay and Julissa at the Urban Assembly. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. This is Trending in Education. We'll be back again soon.